Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com. Very excited to be joined today by the one and only Josh Pate of Late Kick with Josh Pate. You find it on CBS HQ, on the Late Kick YouTube channel. And for you college football junkies, if you're not watching Late Kick with Josh Pate, every chance you get, um, you're missing out because he is the college football junkie Pied Piper. Um, Josh, I'm, I'm uh, excited to talk to you because you just had some time with Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach of the Texas Longhorn. So I wanted to uh, get you on, talk about that, and, uh, and, and get some of your thoughts. And also, of course, direct everyone, again, to the Late Kick uh, YouTube channel uh, to check out all the incredible work that you're doing. But um, you know, I know I, I, there are different topics you talked about with Steve Sarkeesian, but let's just start with your, your overall thoughts. I always love listening to him. So loved having him on the show. Um, I think Chip, a lot of folks are focused nationally, at least are focused on Quinn Ewers, how he's going to play at quarterback. We all get that. That's a big deal. Um, I think they're focused on the offense, but talking about the offense is really abstract. You have to talk about the parts of the offense. And I've been really interested in, in reading a lot of your work and listening to him talk at press conferences so far about the different style and versatility he has in the receiver room. So one of the things I asked him was about the, the overall depth and versatility. What kind of player do you have in that room? And you can tell when guys want to start talking before you're even done with the question. Jimbo just does it. Sark at, le- at least lets you get done with the question, but he lit up, man, when when I asked him about that wide receiver room. And it's because I think he knows, uh, and behind the scenes, some people back there in Texas have have intimated that he knows he's finally got a room that it may not be the equal of those vintage Alabama rooms, but it's in the neighborhood now. And it's not all the same guy. Like Whittington and Worthy are not the same guys. A.D. Mitchell and John and, and bringing in those true freshmen, those are not the same guys. And so he talked about that in great detail. Um, he talked about how many of those players he needs in that room to, to have his offense operate as efficiently as it can. And uh, the other thing that I loved that he went in depth with a little bit was – how different their secondary could be this year. And you and I have talked about this before off camera and, and off mic. Um, I don't think people appreciate how thin they've been at safety. I don't think people appreciate it outside of Texas, what the situation's been there in years past versus what it could be this year. And you could really expand that out to the entire secondary, but going and getting that guy like Jalen Catalan, if he's injury free and having him paired up with the other talent you have back there. I mean, what, what if Texas just vaults 35 places in overall pass defense? And that's coupled 
with an effective offense. It just, I don't know, I, I don't like dealing in the cannot in preseason. There may be a lot of have-nots out there, like haven't done it yet. The, the can't crowd, like Texas can't do this and can't do that. It's always foolish to me. It's, it's preview magazine culture. It's kind of foolish. And so I would just prefer to get the head coach on and ask him. And you can tell when those guys are faking optimism versus when it's genuine. I think he's genuine about it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's been interesting because he has not shied away from saying we want to win the last Big 12 championship. And I like that. Bob Stoops talked about winning championships. Mac Brown talked about winning 10 games and Bob Stoops won a whole lot of championships and Mac Brown had a whole lot of 10 win seasons. So I think I think you have to set the bar and have your players go chase it. Right. So here's the way I've always seen that. Yes. Everything you just said, I agree with. Um, people on the outside of a college football program, the outside world in college football fandom and media think way too highly of their opinion in most cases. I know that sounds incriminating because you and I are on that side of the fence. But what I mean by that is if, if you pull a fish out of water, like if, if you and I caught a 12 and a half pound bass out of your favorite lake out there in Texas and we pulled it out of the water, that fish has no idea what's been going on outside of that body of water. It only exists in the body of water. And so you're used to the fact that the sky is blue. You're used to the fact that a plane flies overhead every now and then. That fish has got to be shocked by that because it's so out of the norm for what it experiences on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis. Well, with guys like Steve Sarkeesian and a, a dialed-in head coach, you assume that they hear all the negativity. Like You assume that they're bathed in Texas can't be better than eight and four comments. And so when a guy like Steve Sarkeesian just kind of comes out and, and – casually talks about winning, casually talks about desiring to win the Big 12. Some people who bathe in the negativity actually take that as inauthentic. It's not inauthentic. It's just he's totally unfamiliar with the opposite. Guys like that are totally unfamiliar with the concept that they're going to do any less than that. So what sounds fake sometimes is not fake. It's not fake at all. It's just you're so not used to hearing it because someone from one of the most competitive and high-level environments imaginable took five minutes to walk out of that environment and out into the streets, out into civilian population. And those people don't sound the same, Chip. When they're around normal folks, they don't sound normal. So normal folks sometimes misconstrue that as, that guy's fake. That, that guy can't mean what he says. I assure you he does mean exactly what he says. Well, I, I found it interesting in your, your conversation with Steve Sarkeesian um, because I believe that great coaches reveal themselves in the first three years on a job. And you asked him day one of his first head coaching job at Washington, how has he changed uh, now to yep. being the head coach at Texas? And he talked about his connection with the players. Um, you know, a lot of people look at Steve Sarkeesian's record, say, oh, he's only ever won nine games. But I get the feeling he's a different guy, that he's he's lived a lot of life between day one at Washington and his uh, his time now at Texas. Your thoughts? It, it goes back to the have not versus cannot thing again for me. So if I ask you your main criticism or main point of doubt about Steve Sarkeesian and the best you can come at me with is he hasn't won more than nine games. Okay, let's just say they win 10 this year. 
what now? Like, what do you go to now? I know the record is an end result. That's the best metric we have to gauge how good a coach is. It's not like a DNA strand from them. You don't know everything you need to know about a coach solely by his record. Now, when you start stacking, if he's a 30-year veteran, yes, we can pretty well extrapolate from his record. This is the quality of coach he is if we calibrate for the program. So anyway, with Steve Sarkeesian, when I asked him that, he gave me the same answer that uh, Kirby Smart gave when I asked him that question a couple of weeks ago. Saban gave the same answer when I asked him that last year. I asked, I like to ask every one of them, what's changed the most for you from day one of your first head coaching job to now? And every one of them that's successful, I have found the commonality is they say I'm way more in touch with the players. When I first started, I thought that dealing with the players was someone else's job. I thought meshing with the players was someone else's job. It was my job to run the organizational every day, and I'm supposed to squeeze every ounce I can out of the organization. And that doesn't change, Chip. What I think those guys realize is squeezing every ounce of potential out of the organization can't happen until you have that with your players. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what kind of music you listen to and what kind of music they listen to. You got to find common ground and you've got to have those guys willing to go over a cliff for you because there are a lot of teams out there willing to go 90% of the way. I, I don't know that we see many teams that are willing to go that final 100 or, or, or 10 or 11% even over the cliff that don't believe in the guy they're playing for and, and don't really, really um, possess the willingness to sort, to sort of stand in front of him and take the arrows. Um, and look, those Georgia kids have won two national championships. Go ask them how they feel about Kirby Smart. Ask the kids at Alabama how they feel about Nick Saban. If you can get the guys at Texas – to answer that way about you, that means you formed a relationship with them. And it also means tangibly, if, if we're watching um, the Oklahoma game and it's fourth and one on the OU 27-yard line and Texas has decided to go for it late in the third quarter and it's a pivotal, it's a pivotal moment in a rivalry game, that kind of stuff decides those plays that decide outcomes. You can't quantify it. I'm just telling you it matters. And all the head coaches that I've ever asked that question to that are, that are either successful by that point or trending towards success, they all say the same thing. They all say, I used to not really have as much involvement with the players, and now I immerse myself in player engagement because I think it's key for my program. Yeah. You know, when you look at Texas, what that, that Alabama game is going to tell us a lot, but what stands out to you most about the Longhorns heading into 2023? Um, I assume that, that you guys – have have chopped this excuse up nine ways from Sunday. But I think nationally, um, someone in Sacramento, California, for example, they still look at Texas. And if you tell them Texas is really talented this year, they are still of the opinion that, well, Texas was always talented. So in other words, there's no difference in the Texas team they're going to field this year and the teams that failed miserably before Sark got there, maybe the first team Sark did have. And Look, everyone listening to this knows how full of holes that argument is. But nationally, they don't know, Chip. They think that the recruiting's just always been the same. The player development's always been the same. Uh, they don't understand sort of the ornament approach as opposed to the tree approach. Because that's how I looked at Texas recruiting. I thought they have a bunch of ornaments. They have no tree to hang them on. They, they are pushed around badly at the line of scrimmage. We talked about secondary depth or lack thereof a second ago. Um, that's what I'm excited about, though. Because when you start developing an actual two deep, in some cases up front, even a three deep of guys that you can rotate, 
and waves you can rotate in. And it doesn't just have to be up front. But when you can do that and you couple that with the, you know, the momentum they still have at this moment on the recruiting trail, uh, they'll always be a player in the portal as well. That's what I'm excited about. Whether they beat Bama 30-27 or they lose 30-27, watching the fourth quarter of that game and and knowing how Bama games have looked in the past where they just outman someone badly, I don't know that I don't know that's the vision I have for that game this year, regardless of who wins. If you look at Texas and you say, huh, well, they won, they won by three or lost by four tonight. They, they look the equal of Alabama. Well, Bama, contrary to popular belief, uh, probably still has the best or the second best roster in the country. They got three of the six highest rated classes in history on that roster. So if you're going head to head with them, uh, just man for man, that's a good sign. But then after the Bama game, like that's where that's where I've circled a lot of area to focus my attention is what do they do off of that result? I know they've mentally tried to prepare for it there, but. I was watching the I was watching the AM documentary, the Johnny Menzel documentary, when they went in there in 2012 and they beat Alabama. Um, Chip, you can't prepare for that. You can't prepare for what that does to your program. That's like winning a Super Bowl. And then they tell you you got another game the next week. Or in Texas's case, because it's so early in the year, you've got your full conference schedule. Everyone just won the game of their lives, and it doesn't even matter in the conference standings, and you've got your full conference slate ahead of you. How do you how do you harness that for good if it's a win? And also, how do you harness it for good if it's a loss? Uh, but I do agree with you. I think that's the first glimpse the nation will have at really how wrong they are about how different this Texas team potentially is than previous versions of Texas. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the flagship podcast, talking to Josh Pate of Late Kick with Josh Pate on CBS HQ and, of course, the Late Kick YouTube channel. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Josh, uh, Alabama itself is an interesting topic. You've got, um, you know, J.C. Latham saying we're going to win all the games, revenge tour. Uh, and then, you know, you look at Nick Saban. He's changed out coordinators again, this time both of them. He's got questions at quarterback for the first time going into a season since 2015. What is your, what is your take on the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide? I think they're going to – look radically different offensively, not than they ever have, than they have in years past, so the past several years. And the tell is just listen to how they talk about their offensive line and listen to their offensive linemen talk. They've had good offensive linemen. It's just they've asked them to play a different style of football, 
So all of a sudden, the road grader physically owning the line of scrimmage version of Alabama, it wasn't there anymore. They were still getting four and five star guys, but they didn't play the same style of ball. Chip, I had a I had an NFL guy tell me they have four guys minimum that will probably start for them this year that we put a potential first round grade on whenever they come out. One of them's a true freshman. So we're talking a long way down the road. Uh, he just said, I want to see what style they play with. I think it will be uh, very reminiscent of what you saw from them a decade ago and, and think they fully possess the ability to do it. Now, I've thought many things in many preseasons that ended up not panning out. So I asked a lot of the Bama folks, asked Saban on and off the record, what are you doing this year? And as much as he'd say it, that's kind of what Nick Saban said. When, when people tell you, I don't know who my starting quarterback's going to be. Also, we've got to tailor the offense to the players we have. And you've got four or five deep in your tailback room of former four and five star guys. And you got a, he said, I have seven starters on my offensive line yesterday. That is code for we're just going to run the ball. And we think we can do it better than anyone in the country. We used to. We could get back to that again. If you combine that with um, what I think will be his best secondary in several years. So the inability to stretch the field on them consistently and their ability to run the ball. Chip, I think they could be just as effective in winning games as they have been, I think you'll see many more one possession or two possession games, which is not out of the norm because they played a bunch of them last year. But I don't think you'll see the Steve Sarkeesian pinball up and down the field version of Alabama. I still think they're going to be ultra effective. Like I, if you told me, hey, Bama's going to win the title this year, it just wouldn't shock me. I think it would shock me if they won the title trying to do the same thing they have done the past few years. Yeah. And Alabama beat Texas for a national championship in 09 by pounding the rock. Um, and so Texas has has seen that version of uh, of Nick Saban before. The, the fact that Steve Sarkeesian, Jeff Banks, um, you know, A.J. Milwee, Kyle Flood all worked at Alabama, won a national championship at Alabama, know how Saban thinks defensively, having practiced against him every day for two years. Do you think that stuff, you know, matters on September 9th? It probably does. It probably, though, it matters on a much more granular level. That means detail that I'd have no expertise getting into because it's so in the weeds. It's, it's in the weeds to the point where you can't even see your ball. That's how deep <laughs> in the weeds it is. But where it matters on the surface, and I think where folks like even us could could readily articulate it is, those guys know what it looks like when you're there because they've been around a product that's there. And so that's really important because sometimes when you have a program that hasn't been there in a generation, and I define generations as decades. So, so Texas hasn't been there as, as a top two or three program in over a decade. Well, sometimes you can fool yourself into thinking you're there before you're there. So it really helps to have a handful of guys in a room that was on probably one of, if not the very best teams we've ever seen in college football, because they could grab you by the shoulders and they could shake you really quickly and say, we're not there yet. Okay, let me show you something. Just pull up your phone, show them highlights, show them draft results. This team right here was there. Okay, that organization was there. We're on our way to being there, but just because we beat Rice 48 to 17 today in week one, that doesn't mean we're there. We got a ways to go. That's invaluable to me. It's the same thing Smarts had at Georgia. You know, he had to do it with his boosters over there. He had to tell them, you, you guys think good enough is enough. 
And it's not. You brought me from the place where that, that's the standard. You want me to make that the standard. You got to give me runway and you got to give me resource, the two most important R's in college football. You got to give me those things and I'll get us there. But but don't think we're there yet. Well, Sark can do the same thing. Jeff Banks can do the same thing. Those support staffers can do the same thing over there at Texas right now. And that's important because if I'm a player or, or if I'm a quality controller, or a GA, and I don't know any better, I'm certainly listening to them because I know they've been there before and they were integral parts of a version of Alabama that made it there. Yeah. When, when we look at the uh, Big 12, let's say Texas has the season they want to have. Who do you think is in the Big 12 championship game against them? I have a slight lean to Kansas State. I was looking at the schedule last night, and I know I don't think most of the nation is looking at Kansas State at Missouri as a key game, but I think that's week three. I'm kind of looking forward to that um, because I, I think that resembles a Big 12 game in a lot of ways. Like I, I think that they're going to have to be able to win that kind of game on the road. Uh, Missouri is very much a back-against-the-wall sort of wounded animal program, and Look, Missouri has no illusions of being a challenger to Georgia, but they do have illusions of being a surprise eight or nine win team, just like a bunch of folks in the Big 12 do. And so you can go in there and beat them. That sets you up pretty well, or at least it, it signifies, I think, that Will Howard, the offense, we're going to be good. Defensive replacements, we're going to be fine. So I look at Kansas State. I know that Oklahoma is the number two odds on team out there, and they may very well end up being the biggest challenger. I just – there's so much projecting that you have to do there. I, I think I've probably followed Oklahoma practice reports in fall camp as much as any team, maybe outside of Florida, because there's so much hope, but a lot of it has to be blind. Unless you're at practice every day, a lot of it has to be blind. So you have to just rely on people saying, wow, this defensive line depth looks way different. Wow, the, the left side of this offensive line looks way different. Hey, for their sake, hope, hope they're right. And if they are, that Red River game will be incredible, may not be the only time they play, that sort of thing. I just I have I have things I know about Kansas State and things I think I may know about Oklahoma. So I always lean more towards the the more solid picture in my head. It's, as you can tell, it's not a strong lean. And of course, in Big 12 fashion, this probably just means Texas Tech makes a run and makes everyone look foolish. Yeah. Joey Juice. Um, I mean I guess give me your thoughts on Joey Juice because um, Joey McGuire, Texas Tech, they they beat Texas and OU in his first year as the uh, the head coach at Texas Tech. Yeah, very infectious. Um, I don't think that they've had their moment where the general fan, the casual national fan, has taken notice. If if they have a big upset this year, you know, if they were to pull one of those off prime time national TV and Joey McGuire. As stupid as this sounds, this is what it takes. If Joey McGuire had one of those viral moments and he's doused with Gatorade as he's making a funny quote, that's the kind of stuff that gets blasted nationally. And then all of a sudden people say, hey, who's that coach at Texas Tech? And then they dive in and learn about him. And then collectively they say, why didn't we know about this guy before? Their answer is in the mirror, obviously. And that has nothing to do with football. Like a, a, a catchy clip has nothing to do with football. But that's what gets a lot of people's attention. And the reason I go to that, Chip, is – I think they'll have a pretty good year this year. You talk to people in the agency world and they'll always tell you, don't believe any coach who ever talks about loyalty to a job. They're all mercenaries. They're all looking to get the next job. 
And I know why that stigma exists, because in most cases, that's true. I don't blame them. We do the same thing in our industry, so that's fine. However, don't you feel a little bit different about McGuire and the way he blends at Texas Tech and the way he talks about Texas Tech? Either he's pulling off the biggest con job ever, or I really think that they they lucked into the right guy in the right place, and you could have someone turning down jobs to stay in Lubbock, Texas. I could be wrong. We'll see. No, I think I think you're right, and I, I think it's uh, it's turned into a a great hire. And I'm not sure that he was the first choice. I think Sonny Dykes was probably the first choice, and Sonny's wife wanted to live in Fort Worth instead of Lubbock. But that's that's for another conversation. I mean, I'll I'll stay on TCU because they played for the national championship last year. Um, your thoughts on what Sonny Dykes and the Horn Frogs were able to accomplish last year and um, how do they follow that up? <clears throat> it's totally insane. Um, I remember we were at the national title game, which was ugly, obviously. And I was, I was around some people in our business from another network and a couple of them who have jobs to talk on national TV, mind you, started speaking down about TCU because of the way that game was going. And I'm like, guys, just pretend they lost a double overtime thriller to Michigan in the semifinal game. So that's the way you saw their season end. Technically, in that B scenario, they accomplished less than making the national title game. But you'd be speaking way different about them because you didn't see them get blown out against Georgia. So what, what sense does that make? It, I call that the recalibration of expectation. We do it with the team every year. Michigan State a couple of years ago. We're, we're barely expected to make a bowl game. Well, then all of a sudden, Kenneth Walker and company, they get on a run, and now it looks like they can make the Big Ten title game. Oh, they didn't quite make it. Well, that's a disappointment. It's not a disappointment. If you're over-under is like seven wins and you're winning 10 games, it's impossible for that to be a disappointment. So with TCU last year, everybody knows that story. I don't need to retell the story, but it was an insane accomplishment. And also, what kind of prop bet could you have gotten early in the year Forget about them making the title game. Think about the prop bet of saying the Big 12 champion won't make the playoff. The runner-up will because you never would have thought the Big 12 could provide that. That's an SEC, maybe a Big 10 thing. No way that a non-champ from the Big 12 is going to make it. But that's the luxury you afford yourself when you just win a bunch of close games. Now, I, I throw all those roses at them to say there is no way that they flirt with that this year. There's just no way. I'm willing to say that and look like an idiot if they do, but it would defy all conventional and unconventional wisdom. If they have the same turnover, I call it bounce of ball luck or Bob luck, if they have the same one possession game um, fortune, because I don't know that that's always luck, but fortune, if they have that with as much turnover as they've had roster-wise and staff-wise with Garrett Riley leaving, hats off to them. You find, you find about a 12 by 12 plot out there to start building the statue of that guy in year two. I don't care if he accomplishes that in two years. That's a really big deal. I don't think it can happen, but that's why we play the games. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, okay. We'll, uh, we'll wind it down on this. I, I won't ask you about uh, your ping pong prowess, which I, I hear you are the uh, reigning champ up there in uh, in Nashville in the mm -hmm. CBS HQ 24-7 sports. Just the entire city, Chip. You can just go the entire city of Nashville. That's fine. Man, I'm sorry. I uh, I missed that when I was up there for uh, SEC Media Days. But um, the the collapse of the Pac-12, 
Um, you know, when the media writes negotiations reopen Josh in 2030 for the big 10 with now with USC, UCLA, uh, Oregon, Washington, are we looking at finally, you know, paring down the, the haves in college football to basically the big 10 and the sec where are we headed here? Yeah. Uh, in the short term you are, um, I hate this. I was doing radio in Knoxville yesterday and the host put it really well. He put it in a way I've not thought about, but I think he's right. He said, how can it be that college football fans nationally seem more upset about the PAC 12 dissolving than many PAC 12 fans do? And I thought about it and I said, he's actually right. Like the outcry I hear is from people like me or people who live in South Carolina or Ohio People in Oregon, I hadn't really heard a peep from. Like rural Washington, hadn't heard a peep from them. So I don't. if you know the culture out there and the vibe out there about football, I don't think that's the biggest shock in the world, but I still allow myself to be shocked by that stuff. So here's the other thing I'll say about that, Chip. There is a disgusting article in The Athletic right now that's accurate. So its accuracy is not disgusting. Uh, the picture it paints is disgusting. And I believe it's either Stuart Mandel or Chris Vanini. And <clears throat> they were talking to TV executives. And the TV executives who could not care less about this sport from a love or hate standpoint, it's just a commodity to them. They're just openly talking about how TV networks don't really care about the diehard fan. We care about the casual fan who lives in Brooklyn or Queens who could take college football or leave it. We want to put a high level game in front of them instead of Washington State or Oregon State. Like if this weren't a new laptop, I would just throw up on the keyboard right now <laughs> to allow those kind of people to be decision makers in our sport like Every, everyone's been so fascinated with opening up that Sunday gate and letting some NFL and pro sports mentality into college football. And there have been some of us who have warned against it to no avail. That's the Sunday mentality. Okay, that's what a, a pro sports mentality in college sports gets you. This sport has never, ever been built to be modeled after the pro game because the pro game is built solely to be a professional sports league. Colleges were not built to have athletic appendages attached to them. It just came along years later. And yours may have been invented three decades before mine. And you may have five times the resource I have. It's kind of like a nature preserve, in other words. If the nature preserve here in Nashville was forced to operate by the laws of the jungle or just the, the laws and codes and regulations of the rest of the city, Chip, the nature preserve would be purchased by a major condominium builder and it would be flattened and all the animals would disappear and there'd just be a, a lifeless high rise there two years later. Well, as a city, we decided, no, nah, I think we like that nature preserve. Let's carve out a specialty in our code and in our laws for that to exist. We had that in sports a long time. It was called college football. Now we don't have that anymore. So that was a long winded way of me saying what I wonder is if all of this is final or I wonder if we don't go a few years through this and realize there were massive mistakes made here, massive mistakes. And I almost wonder if with the ease people are getting out of their current TV deals and moving around, I wonder if we don't see sort of a return to a more regional approach, because certainly that's the best for college football. I don't, I don't think anybody argues that. I just wonder if there are 15 mechanisms that could come into play that you and I couldn't know about right now that lead to 2030 being the year that college football went back to its roots. And I have no clue what the media landscape will look like at that point either. I hope I'm around. I hope you're around. But outside of that, I don't know. But the hope I give myself is that this is not quite as final as it feels right now. Yeah, I like it.
I like it. It's um, college football has always been fraught with controversy. And, you know, we used to turn to computers to figure out the national champion and, and votes. Um, so we're, you know, eventually it takes a minute, but college football tends to start to figure it out. Josh, uh, great stuff, man. Um, I hope everyone is, is subscribed to the late kick YouTube channel. Uh, like I am and is is checking out every episode of Late Kick with Josh Pate. You do a great job. Uh, you're an ambassador for college football and appreciate your time here on the uh, flagship podcast at Horns 24-7. I appreciate it, Chip. Looking forward to practice reports later today. Oh, yeah, baby. You know it. All right. There he is, kids. Josh Pate. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the flagship podcast. Until next time, we'll see you over at horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith.